from Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize, baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this morning we also look at Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. Romans 15, beginning with verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe that word liminal is new to you, but I keep hearing it over and over again or seeing it in different articles and whatnot. If you've ever walked into a foyer or crossed over a threshold of a house, well, you've been in a liminal space. If you've ever walked through the hallway or traversed a rotunda of a big building, well, you've been in a liminal space. A liminal space is that space between spaces. You're generally leaving one space and going to another space, but you're, you're not there yet. You're in between spaces and places, like walking out of your bedroom, going into a hallway toward the bathroom. Uh, you're not there yet, but you've left the bedroom, so you're in between places. You're in between spaces. The hallway is the space that helps you transition to that bathroom. But when you're in the hallway, you are no longer in the bedroom. 
so most people don't say that they are in liminal spaces because don't stay in liminal spaces because you're not meant to be there for very long. You're meant to transition into a new space. And when you walk into the foyer of a building or a home, you usually don't sit down and start having a conversation with the host and stay there for very long. The foyer helps you transition to the living room or the sitting room or some other place where you're going to spend most of your time. Sometimes you take your shoes off or your coat off there in that space, um, but because you don't need it in the space you're going to, but you may need it when you leave and go back outside. So a change happens in liminal spaces. Sometimes a transformation takes place in a liminal spaces. Maybe your mood changes and your mindset as you come in from the outside cold and into the warmth of a home and onto a, maybe a warm, cozy living room. Things are different, of course, if you're in a waiting room at a company and then you're asked to go into the boardroom for your job interview. It's a little different of a mood, but moods can change as well. The waiting room is a liminal space, such as a hospital waiting room. Sometimes we just walk through a liminal space into the next space and, because we know where we're going. And if we don't, we spend some time trying doors and peeking in rooms to see if that's the room we want to go into or we finally remember where we were going in the first place. But some liminal spaces are meant for waiting, like a waiting room, for example. And, of course, this idea of having liminal spaces in buildings, in architecture, is also a metaphor for life. We have liminal spaces in life, too. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? These are times in life where we're crossing a threshold. We're going through a change, a transition. We're stepping out of one space in life, and we're on into the next space in life. And maybe if you're a teenager, you're stepping out of being a child, and you're, you're growing into being an adult, but you're not a child anymore. You're not an adult anymore, but you're teenager. You're in that liminal space in life. Your, your body's changing. Your emotions are changing. Your, your mind is, is changing and hopefully growing and expanding too. But it's sort of a liminal space, transitional space in life. And the same is for many other stages of life too. Metaphorically, we're in a liminal space, a time of change and transition like the Christian season of Advent. We're in that time between the first and the second coming of Jesus. John the Baptist was in a liminal space, too, as he helped people prepare for an encounter with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He was like a guide in the Capitol building, showing us the way through the rotunda to where we need to go next. And he shows us how to get there, and to get there in a way that pleases God. The Apostle Paul in Romans then takes over as our guide this morning, and he helps us look to Christ, even as we bump into uh, other disagreeable folk in the rotunda? And how do we live in unity and peace with one another as we're in that liminal space of life? Some are going to want to keep their shoes on. Others are going to want to go barefoot. Some are going to want to keep their coat on the whole time. Others are going to be frantically looking for that thermostat to turn the heat down. Right, Dave Bash? That's, that's, you'd be doing that. You'd be doing that. So Paul points us to Christian unity in our liminal space and time in life. But first, we meet our first guide, who ushers us in and helps us get prepared and, and shows us the way. Guide number one, John the Baptist, as we look at Mark chapter one. 
John the Baptist is our first Advent guide this morning. Mark chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark, tells us right away, right off the bat, what his book is all about. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, who is the Son of God. Right there, it tells you, tells you everything. There's a lot packed right into that. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, who is the Son of God. In those few verses, those few words actually, we get oriented right away. This is the beginning of something. The Jews would certainly have heard those words, the beginning, and it would have hearkened them back in their minds to what? Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, God is doing something new here. He's creating something new here, someone new here. This is the beginning. It's the beginning of the gospel, the good news. Uh, this is a good report, like when a rider comes back from a town after a victory and announces to everybody in town that their army has won the victory. This is good news, but it's good news about someone. It's good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one the prophets foretold. Uh, this, is the one, this is what the good news is all about. And he is, it says, the Son of God. But it's interesting that the beginning of the good news about Jesus actually starts with someone else, <laughs> right? You ever notice that? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, starts with something, someone else. It starts with this quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah and with this strange character named John. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him beginning of the good news about Jesus begins with a messenger. And so like one of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist appears on the scene. He appears in the wilderness, verse 4. He's preaching or proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People in the countryside, towns, little burgs and villages, all the way from the big cities, they're all rushing out to the wilderness to see this guy, to hear what he has to say, to listen to his message. You see, John is taking the people along a similar path that the ancient Israelites went through in their liminal space as they transitioned from one way of being to another, as they were from Egypt, but not in the promised land yet. Slaves in Egypt, but not free in the promised land yet. They were in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. The liminal space for them was the wilderness. In the wilderness, there they learned to trust God. They, there they learned in the hallway of the, the wilderness, they, they learned to take off some old baggage, some of the old ways of being as, as slaves in Egypt and old behaviors and lifestyles. They learned to take some of those things off. They learned what it means to be a people of God as they learned to follow God's law and God's ways. And they learned about confession and repentance too as they messed up quite a bit. And in God's timing, another door unlocked, and they walked through the liminal space of the wilderness, through the Jordan River, to the promised land. Well, John the Baptist here is taking God's people through, through the wilderness again, through the Jordan, as they prepare to encounter this new creation of God, this new thing that God is doing, as they encounter God through the Messiah, Jesus. John the Baptist helped point them in the right direction, to the one who's greater than I, the one who is more powerful. His food, his clothing, it, uh, the, it all pointed to the wilderness, 
locust, wild honey, camel's hair, leather belt. It all pointed to someone living out in the wilderness, right? So they were on this threshold of God doing something new and creating something new here. They were in this liminal space, space between spaces. So John says in verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John dealt with the human activity of, of getting folks ready to meet the Messiah. Things like confession of sin, repentance, baptism as a cleansing effort and a preparation effort that we can do to place ourselves in a position of encountering God. And, and that's what John the Baptist was helping the people do to prepare the way. Um, but he makes note of the fact that Jesus is coming and the work of the Holy Spirit will be a cleansing gift of God. A cleansing gift of God. It will be an imputation of grace, unearned and undeserved. We do what we can in order to get ourselves ready, but when Jesus comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit does a dramatic and powerful, real effect, cleaning, cleansing, renewing, and restoring of us. So it's interesting that the good news about Jesus begins with someone else. Isn't that often the case? In our lives, the good news about Jesus begins with someone else. Maybe it was a friend for you. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was an elder. Um, maybe it was someone else. Someone who's not a Christian talks to a friend who tells him about the way, about the good news, loves him, answers questions, and the friend points that person to Jesus. And the way, the way of confession, the way of repentance, the way of baptism, the way of church belonging and membership, right? Being accountable in community. And when that person experiences Jesus, the Holy Spirit does a mighty work in their lives. Sometimes the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, begins with someone else. Sometimes it begins with you or me. But the coming of the Messiah wasn't just to save individual souls, but to form a larger community of his followers who would make a real and ongoing difference in the world. But when believers start coagulating together in their common faith and in their their goals and, and their direction that maybe John the Baptist has been pointing them to, our differences begin to cause a little agitation sometimes, sometimes a little blockage here and there. Division, as forgiven sinner bumps up against forgiven sinner in real life and work and ministry together in the real world. So here is where we need our second Advent guide this morning, the Apostle Paul. Guide number two, the Apostle Paul. As we look at Romans 15. It would be nice if we could all just get along after we got out of the Jordan River and got wet, right? It'd be nice, or if we got baptized in the city water of Big Rapids. But unity is a difficult thing, given all of our differences and disagreements, our opinions, cultures, languages, hairstyles. How do we live this life together as followers of Jesus? What kind of unity do we have, should we have, and work toward? How do we come to the Lord's table together as one body? What are we united about? What are we united about? Well, Paul in chapter 15 of Romans is concluding a topic that he actually began a chapter earlier in chapter 14 about accepting one another, especially accepting those you consider to have a weaker faith than you do or somebody who's on a different, po different place in their spiritual journey than you are. 
He's challenging some of the judgmental attitudes of people in the church who think they have a strong faith and yet seem to have a really hard time getting along with people who have a weaker faith than they think they do. So to be strong for them meant that they could eat certain meats and they could drink certain drinks and they could participate in certain cultural activities in the world around them, the pagan world around them, and it wouldn't bother their conscience at all because they were free in Christ to do whatever they wanted to do. But for others, and maybe newer Christians, participating in these things, in these pagan activities, was a stumbling block for their faith. And so they, the weak, as they were called here, avoided participating in these activities. And so, in particular, there were disagreements between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile followers of Jesus. But here they are, all coming together in the same church, worshiping together. Things are getting heated, nerves frayed, egos bruised. So our guide, Paul, has been telling these believers, those who think themselves strong and full of faith, to follow the example of Christ Jesus. That is, to follow the example of Jesus who put the good of others above his own. And he encourages both sides to learn to live together, to get along, and to seek unity in the midst of all their differences. And so what does he tell them? He's talking mostly to the strong, those who thought they were strong in their faith. He tells them to modify their behavior for the sake of the weak, even if they feel they can do whatever they want to in Christ. Modify their own behavior for the sake of, their, of the weak. Romans 15 begins, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So if Christ could give up his life for those who hated him, for those who rejected him, for those who killed him, certainly you, Christians in the church, could give up eating certain meats or drinking certain drinks or participating in certain activities for the sake of your fellow brother and sister in Christ. For the sake of unity, for the sake of peace. Verses 5 and 6 states, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity in Christ is the goal. And that unity meant that mature followers of Jesus should learn to endure and have patience with those who maybe are not at the same spiritual place that they are. Verse 7 says, Accept one another then. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. God is praised when we accept one another in Christ, when we lay down parts of our lives for the sake of someone else, when we give up some of our freedoms and rights for the sake of someone else. So to the Jewish Christians, he points out that God has been faithful to his promises to Israel. Maybe you've noticed all the Old Testament quotes in this passage, right? There's a large Jewish Christian audience here in Rome that he's really addressing. God has fulfilled his promises to Israel. God has fulfilled his promise in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. With the inclusion of the Gentiles, God is blessing all the nations through Israel. 
that promise that God gave to Abraham so long ago. Remember that? Where you'll be a blessing to all nations? Well, God is being a blessing to all nations. The Gentiles can praise God too because they're being included in the covenant. They're blessed. They're saved through the Messiah, Jesus. So Paul is reminding us this morning that God is forming a new community in Christ with diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, skin colors, languages, a community where the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. We look forward to that ultimate unity when Jesus comes again, but even now the church strives to be one, to speak with one voice, to live together as one body, even given all of our differences or disagreements. That's not easy, understand. It gets messy, it does. But with God, all things are possible. The root of Jesse will spring up, and in him we will all put our hope. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, rich and poor, the weak and strong. So if you find yourself in a liminal space today, be of good cheer. God's people have found themselves in that space a number of times in history. When they were in a transition in life from one place to another, God often showed up in surprising ways. He provided in miraculous ways too. Manna from heaven, water from a rock, guidance through a pillar of cloud or fire. Even when the next door that you need to open is uncertain and that hallway seems like one of those creepy dreams or movies that just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Even when that seems to be happening to you in your life and you're not sure which door to to go through, just remember that God is still there. God is there in that liminal space in life too, in that transitional space. He's teaching us in those liminal spaces of life, helping us grow. He's teaching us how to trust him more. He's teaching us how to love God more than the things that this world has to offer. And how to love one another in community. For the hallway sometimes gets crowded. And sometimes we bump into each other. Sometimes we make mistakes. And sometimes we fail. But we get back up and we have to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And as we're learning to forgive each other and love each other, God is teaching us something in in those moments, in those times. The next door may not even unlock until you've learned what you need to learn as you experience those conflicts or hard conversations with others. Praise God, though, that as we wait in the liminal space, we don't wait alone. As we take communion now this morning, we remember and we believe, we celebrate, and we rejoice that God is coming to us and has come to us in the incarnation of Jesus who takes away our sins by his sacrifice on the cross. And as we partake, we show our oneness, part of the symbolism of Lord's Supper, communion, showing our oneness in Christ as the body of Christ, united in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Praise be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, help us to wait for you. In our fears and uncertainties, guide and comfort us. In our conflicts and irritations with others, give us patience and peace. In the Lord's Supper, make us glad and hopeful as we look forward to the great wedding supper of the Lamb where all of God's people shall partake as one with you, Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit 
is one triune God forever and ever. Amen.